Hello and welcome to Plot Trip. This is Lane. This is Meg. Today we're reviewing The Sum of All Kisses by Julia Quinn. This was published in 2013 and is the third book in the Smythe Smith Quartet. And so this quartet takes place in the Bridgerton universe. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm sure if you've listened to our first two episodes on this, you know that these Smythe Smiths are the the same girls who were in some of the Bridgerton books doing the terrible, terrible musicals. Yes. And so we're trying to wrap this series up before the Bridgerton Netflix TV show. Yay. So exciting. Well, let's let's do the jacket. He thinks she's an annoying know-it-all. Hugh Prentice has never had patience for dramatic females, and if Lady Sarah Plensworth has ever been acquainted with the words shy or retiring, she's long since tossed them out the window. Besides, a reckless duel has left this brilliant mathematician with a ruined leg, and now he could never court a woman like Sarah, much less dream of marrying her. She thinks he's just plain mad. Sarah has never forgiven Hugh for the duel that he fought that nearly destroyed her family. But even if she could find a way to forgive him, it wouldn't matter. She doesn't care that his leg is less than perfect. It's his personality she can't abide. But forced to spend a week in close company, they discover that first impressions are not always reliable. And when one kiss leads to two, three, and and four, the mathematician may lose count, and the lady may, for the first time, find herself speechless. Cute jacket. It's very cute jacket. It's a very cute jacket. I like it. And it really hits the important points in their story. Yes. I was just saying last week, like, we we just want to know two or three things, right? Like, we want to know the trope. We want to know the characters. And we want to know what they do. And that's what we get. Like, we know what he does. We know what she does. And we know the trope, which is forced proximity at a wedding. So we're good. Yep. (laughs) Well, actually, I'm sorry. It doesn't say wedding, but. It does say, but it's forced to spend a week in close company because yeah. of a wedding. So good there enough, you go. Good enough. I mean, this is look. This this hit our spots. I think we have discovered the form, the magic formula for our for jackets. <laughs> and you know, you can test a dare it and take it up a notch with some yeah, I mean, But bottom line, is it accurate? <laughs> and then does it hit those three things? That's really all we need. Yeah. Uh, but as you know, we write our own summaries based on a random number. Uh, And this time the number was 47. So why don't you start this one off, Lane? Okay. Sarah's the only one left holding a grudge against the man whose duel ran her cousin out of the country. And he reciprocates. But wedding contrivance results in affection? And a sobbing fight over a suicide pact? And kidnapping forced ruination scheme? And the most boring fingering ever? (laughs) You can see which part of the book Lane really liked and which part she didn't. <laughs> it really had me for like the first 70%. Yeah. I, I don't, it didn't lose me. I think it lost Lane, but it did not, didn't lose me. Uh, so here's mine. Do weddings bring people together? They do in Smythe Smithland. Sarah's forced to hang out with her sworn enemy, Hugh, who puts up with it because getting along is the whole reason he's attending. A sprained ankle and several dramatic revelations later, and they're in bed together. Yeah. You really just leaned all in on the enemies to lovers fix at a wedding. 
Totally. Yeah. I th- look, that's the part that's she did a really good job with that part of this book, in my opinion. She did a great job with the enemies to lovers, and mm-hmm. she did a great job with the wedding thing because <laughs> the, I mean, this is like the perfect third book in a series. Basically, in the first book, Honoria and Marcus get engaged. In the second book, Daniel and Anna, Anna get engaged. Uh, and then in this book, they both get married. And this couple forms at the two weddings. So, I mean, like, I'm going to be completely honest. This is a perfect romance third entry in a series. Yeah. And in contrast to some of the other series we've been, we've been reading lately, there's really not any page time spent in the perspectives of the two couples that are getting married. Oh. Like, it's fun to be at their weddings and there are, you know, a handful of scenes where those characters appear on the page. But it's, it, you're not taking time away from Hugh and Sarah, Sarah to service the happily ever after on the two couples you already know. Yeah. You, you see it from her perspective, which is also really nice. Like she, she thinks, oh, they're so perfectly suited for each other. Oh, they're going to be so happy together. I mean, that's mm-hmm. great. I, I really liked that, you know? Yep. I thought it was very well done. So really liked that. Uh, so yes, the big ones, the two big ones, which were hit in the jacket, enemies to lovers, forced proximity. Yep. And we've got a couple of uh, tropes that we've seen a lot in the wider Bridgerton universe. You got the big crazy family in this mm-hmm. case, it's the Smythe Smith plain fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's often contrasted with the character with a big crazy, crazy family is the character with the messed up childhood who has never known the love and affection of their parents. Yes. So you have not just both tropes, but you have both tropes together, which is well, a trope in and of itself. I was like, it's such a Quinn trope because she's got mm-hmm. the, she's got the happy loving family and she's got the loner from, a you know, from an abusive childhood. And then, you know, the one from the big family heals the other person through love. Yeah. They didn't play up the differences in their upbringings as much mm-hmm. as that trope often creates, but it was still there. Yeah. So why is Hugh at this wedding? Because he challenged Daniel Smith to a duel, accidentally shot him, but not badly. Daniel, in attempting to miss, hit Hugh because Hugh was moving Mm -hmm. and hit Hugh very badly. And so upon Hugh being very, very, very almost fatally hurt. Hugh's father decided to kill Daniel. Daniel had to flee the country. And then Hugh's way of convincing his father to end his hunt was to say, you kill Daniel, I kill myself, and then you never get the heir. Yeah. So this is not a spoiler for this book. This all happens in the previous book. Yeah. So he was at the wedding because he wants to still any gossip out there about their, their two families. And because he feels like he owes Daniel his life. Exactly. And Daniel said, I want you to be at the wedding. And so he was like, okay, I'll be there. But this gets into another trope, which is threatening the douchebag father with a lack of heirs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
then we we so we have scars. They're not facial scars in this one. They're leg scars, which we've seen in quite a few books. So with the like the erotic limp or whatever. Oh <laughs> yeah. One, it's not necessarily erotic, but it's for some reason there's something just really attractive about this limp. He didn't get it in battle, so it's not valorized in the same way sometimes it is, but it's still like he's it's his humanizing feature. He's overcome a lot just to be able to get around. And so that's, you know, the whole willpower, mind over matter, that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and he is also a card shark. Yes. So we've seen that a couple of times now. He can count cards. Yes, he's and he's just natural. It comes to him naturally. He's just really good at mathematics. He also has a. This isn't a trope. He also has a. a I, I guess you can't say photographic memory because it's before photographs, right? But he has an eidetic. He's an eidetic memory, so he can remember mm -hmm. everything ever. And at one point, while he is injured before the book, she gets injured in the book, mm -hmm. and there isn't quite the same. It's not fatal. It's not near fatal. I mean, it's obviously not fatal. It's never fatal. But it's not ever a real risk to her long-term health and safety. But her, the nature of her injury leads to a lot of comparisons in her mind to him and what he must have gone through and the fact that he doesn't get to heal, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then she swears that he would be the last man on earth she'd ever kiss. And he hears it. Yeah. Well, and this goes back, this goes back to like, this is like the original romance trope. This goes back to Pride and Prejudice, where she swears she'll never dance with Darcy. Yep. You know, like this is the original trope, right? <laughs> well, and then Darcy saying everything he says. <laughs> well, yes. yes <laughs> about yes. her and her family. Well, and exactly. Small little spoiler, but there is a library hookup. There's so, a library hookup, yeah. yeah. Check that one off. So, I mean, I really enjoy this book. I think it's really fun. And one of the things I really, really like about it is, uh, are the two characters. So I think Hugh and Sarah are really well drawn. Completely and one of the agree. things, yeah, one of the things I really like is that they're not these perfect characters. That's not to say they're not likable. They're yes. both likable characters, but they're both flawed and not always the best people which I liked mm -hmm. exactly and this is this is in contrast to the flaws of say I don't know a Kerrigan Byrne or an Elizabeth Hoyt which is they're like a murderer or something you know like you could say they're flawed characters but really the fact is they're the best criminals of all time right. so it, that's like when you're in the job interview and they're like what's your greatest weakness and you're like well I'm just such a perfectionist you know <laughs> so like yeah, he's he is socially awkward mm -hmm. she is prone to dramatics and can create scenes yeah and it often makes the people around her like it, it's two sides of the same coin she can be the most jovial mirthful making everyone around her comfortable mm -hmm. but it also means when she is unhappy everyone feels it and yeah. it leads to a sort of myopic and selfish worldview. Yes. Especially given how great her life has largely been. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing, the other thing that's so nice is that we all know people like this. 
you know? Yes, of course. You know, there and maybe maybe we have aspects of this person, right? And you you're like, oh, I feel seen and <laughs> called out slightly, <laughs> maybe, you know. But I don't know. I just I like how they really feel like real people, basically. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. So I think this is. I again, we've talked about this a lot, but I think it's one of Quinn's greatest strengths is that she creates everyday ordinary characters who we really relate with but who feel like real organic people as well mm-hmm. so of, of course these two characters were great because that's that's what queen does yes and as is always true with these Smith smith bridgerton novels the family also has complexities to their relationship Honoria's rose-colored glasses and the good and the bad of that is mm-hmm. very present here. Iris's sarcastic face <laughs> is very much in play. Daisy continuing to be tone-deaf. Yes. Both in literal sense and in a social sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Daisy was in so play. funny. So yeah. th- in this book, Daisy is just going around all those weddings saying – we should get the quartet back together, get the gang back together and play some music. <laughs> and everyone else is not having it. So, Mainly Iris and Sarah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fun fact. Um, you know, the, the lady who plays the cello, who's engaged to the Duke, who's at Daniel's wedding mm-hmm. or excuse yes. me, Mark, Marcus's wedding. Yeah, Marcus's, but not Daniel's, and she brought her cello to Marcus's right. to practice, but so, didn't. But after Sarah's scheming, refused to lend it. Yes. So, fun fact: she is actually the heroine of an Eloisa James book. So oh. Eloisa James and Julia Quinn wrote two different books, but they were like, "Let's do a collab," and then <laughs> they they the characters all meet at the wedding. So it's kind of funny. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. The book Eloisa James, that heroine in her novel, is a guest at that wedding. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And the the book is Once Upon a Tower. If you're wondering. Okay. 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 Done with the fun fact. <sighs> I, yeah, I I do think. Feel- yeah. No. Go ahead. I don't think the family, for all that I just, like, I know I criticized in an earlier one that they were too much. Mm-hmm. I think it was just the right amount of family, given, like, first of all, kind of a pass because it takes place at weddings. Exactly. Look, there's a reason for the younger girls to be here. There's a reason for them to be hilarious. In Daniel's book, there was, there was no reason other than him stalking their governess, which neither of us liked. Right. And it's in much smaller doses in this book. Yes. Um, but it also, I also like how it highlights Hugh's character. Mm-hmm. So it served the plot and the characterization of this book in a way it, it didn't in Daniel's book. Right. And you, this sort of falls into a trope that is not just present in romance novels, but the sort of socially awkward person especially one with a visible difference 
who prefers the company of children because of their kind of honesty and lack of reserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I also really like about this book is how, so Hugh feels emasculated because he's limping around. He can't dance. He can't sweep women off their feet. Like he literally thinks that I can't sweep women off their feet, you know? <laughs> Um, He's at one point jealous of Daniel sweeping Sarah off her feet, literally, and Daniel is her cousin. Daniel's her cousin and engaged to be married to somebody else. And they're at his wedding. They're at his wedding. So, yeah, like, like there's no competition. He's just jealous of the, he's jealous more of the fact that Daniel can do something and be a man rather than the fact that he's with Sarah. Exactly, which I liked because this easily it would have been very easy to write a love triangle into this book because obviously there's plenty of male guests at this wedding. Hugh's insecure about the things he can't do and couldn't be in a husband. And I'm very glad they chose to make it entirely his issue and about him. Yes. Rather than weighing it down with another character and like a stupid jealousy subplot. Yeah. So this I I really liked that part of the book, actually. Because, because mm-hmm. I, I, well, I found it very, I found it authentic. So I didn't find it out of character. I also really liked how it highlighted without being too heavy handed, the idea of toxic masculinity. Yeah. Right. Like Sarah doesn't want someone who can sweep her off her feet. He wants, she wants someone who can treat her like a real person and listens to her and talks to her. Right. And he can't see that. That's what she wants. And Sarah has this big support network and even emotionally doesn't need her partner to be her and be all end all savior. Right. Like she's always going to have people to fall back on. She's looking for someone she likes. Exactly. Um, And then I also do like that again, without being heavy handed, Sarah basically rescues him like three times. Yeah. So uh, I just loved how, I loved how it wasn't, it didn't hit you over the head with it, but it was also very present and you couldn't miss it. So right. I thought it struck a very good balance. I did too. I really, really liked the buildup of their whole relationship. Mm-hmm. And about 70% of the way in, mm-hmm. they finally give in to their longing. And what I loved about this book is the longing, the giving in wasn't a light bulb moment for either of them. They both independently in their own POV chapters, think about how they're falling in love and how they're just sort of waiting for the spark. Mm -hmm. So they're getting to know each other. They're having conversations. They're flirting outrageously. They're making excuses to spend time together. And then this moment finally happens where neither of them can hold back anymore and they make out in the garden and after that rather than the book being a natural resolution of their families are still sort of enemies there's still some things to work through it becomes this really high stakes drama Mm -hmm. that like I alluded to in my summary literally involves like kidnapping and an attempted forced ruination and I, it stopped being about Hugh and Sarah to me. 
and started being about like how ridiculous and emotionally charged can this situation get. And I really did feel like the end of the book sort of ruined the rest of it for me. Yeah. It, it doesn't ruin it for me. I, I'm not, I'm not sure why it didn't strike me that way because I, I could see myself saying exactly what you just said. Uh, I don't argue with the fact that it was a huge tone shift. No, I, I don't, it was a tone shift. Mm-hmm. I think though that Quinn was able to retain some of the humor that, that brought us through the, the I found myself chuckling even during like, the kidnapping scene. The kidnapping scene I thought was a little funny. The the scene that I actually thought was sort of out of field was the confrontation with Daniel. Was Daniel before the kidnapping Daniel being funky? Yeah, and then Sarah just started sobbing, and I was like, "Wait, I don't really understand when this went from zero to 60. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. It didn't piss me off. Maybe because I already kind of hate Daniel, so I was like, "Of course, Daniel would do that." Oh yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So I was like, "Yes, totally, Daniel, you just ruin everything." And then I don't know. I also wasn't surprised that Sarah was a little dramatic because she was established as being dramatic. That's true. So it it didn't feel out of character, but either way, I don't know. It it does. It does get a little intense. Uh, And this is this is something that I complained about in the second book because. In that book, there also was a big tone shift. Um, yes, and also a a forced a kidnapping and like very similar actually. Come to think of it, which is kind of weird. But um, anyway, and I hated it there. But here, I was like, eh, you know, I don't know. Maybe because maybe also because in this book, it's alluded to for the entire book from Hugh that his father is like a major asshole yes and so when he appears on the scene it's not a brand new character that we have never seen or heard about or known about either so there is Chekhov's gun a little bit he's thinking about his father the whole time so when his father gets there I wasn't like what where did he come from yeah but you think the the build-up is about the conflict between Hugh's father and Daniel to a degree Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that he, when Hugh's father comes onto the screen, Daniel's sort of the furthest thing from his mind. Yeah. It, it was a little bit of a bait and switch. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fine. I don't know. It did not, did not bother me. So there. Also, I just like also that, again, Sarah is the one who rescues him. Yes. So I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know. It, it made my little, made my little heart happy. <laughs> so I was into it. I, I dug it. Uh, I will say, the one thing that annoyed me about the book is that it basically ends. There's not even really an epilogue. No. There, there isn't. I think there is. There is an epilogue with the the quartet, right? Because they all end with a quartet. Right, but, but it's not. Yeah, he was in it for literally one line. Yeah, exactly. So it's not. It's not a. This is the 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 epilogue. Which it did not, the epilogue did not bother me. I, in fact, quite like that the emphasis on female friendship. And so I think it's kind of nice that they brought it back to the Mm. quartet. So the epilogue didn't bother me. But what did annoy me was that the book about Hugh and Sarah ends with her giving him like a Swedish massage. Yeah, it was, 
I don't know that I want the last page of a romance novel to involve the hero telling the heroine to use her elbow. Right? <laughs> and I I mean, I I guess it's supposed to be this is intimacy now and this is something he's never felt with another person or whatever, but I still just was like, don't you can have that in there, but don't end on that note, please. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Like, if that had been, if the sex scene had been earlier, prior to all of the drama, and that had been a moment of them truly opening up to one another, was him letting her see his pain and help him through it, like, probably would have been fine with that scene. Also, the fact that she was all up on his thigh probably should have led to more sex. Just, this is just my suggestion. Um, but so to have that be the end is just the, yes, we're both naked, but I'm like digging my elbow into your thigh as hard as I can was well, very well, weird. Well, exactly. Like reverse the, the massage and the sex. And I think we both would have been there for it. We would have been like, that's fine. Yeah. You know, that's cool. That's it. You know, it, well, we'll get to that when the sex scene is. It was, it was like a reverse porn movie. <laughs> yeah. And it did. This was a very, we'll get to this with sexiness, but just to like preface my thoughts, this was a very, very lusty book. Lots of yeah. us, lots of the two of them denying their feelings and finally giving in. But the sex that did exist wasn't very good, uh, in yeah, my opinion. I mean, we'll, we'll get there. It did, I did not feel that way. So okay. um, before we end on the sexiness, there are yeah. some trigger warnings we'd like to point out. Hugh's yeah. father is a sadist, a rapist, and a child abuser. Just so you know. And he makes the threat that so many other terrible fathers have made that if his son can't knock up the heiress he marries, he'll do it for him and rape his daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. Woo. Yeah. Hugh's father is not just a, a jerk. He's like, again... If you're a bad guy, if you're a villain, you have to be the worst villain ever to exist, ever. He's just like a disgusting person all around. Mm-hmm. His soul is black all the way through. Yep. Hugh's brother is gay. That is not the content warning. Hugh's father treats Hugh's brother awfully for his sexual orientation. So even yeah. though all the good characters are very understanding. Yeah. I think having a character on the page abused on the basis of their sexual orientation warrants a content warning in and of itself. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing too, is that Hugh's brother, Hugh's brother doesn't appear. He appears in flashbacks with Hugh, but he like, he doesn't meet Sarah. He -hmm. doesn't go to the wedding. Daniel's like, I've never met your brother. Apparently he's so gay that he doesn't go to society events. And I was like, this is a little funky. I got the impression that he was hiding from their father and that their father was imposing his exile. Okay, that makes more sense. I truly didn't even, I didn't pick up on that. That makes way more sense if that's the case. Yeah, that's, my reading of it was Freddie, his name's Freddie, was unable to show his face in the tone without their father coming for him. Okay. Well, that makes because in the way that in the beginning scene when Freddie shows up at Hugh's bedside after the duel, mm-hmm. and like Hugh makes a couple comments about like, "Oh my God, you're here under his nose, risking his wrath," and like mm-hmm. then Freddie leaves before the dad finds him. Yeah, 
So, yeah, I, I didn't get the impression he was so gay he didn't do society. Okay. I, I truly did. Because I, I was like, that I, I was like that was offensive to me, but I didn't really understand it. So, okay. That makes way more sense. I did not pick up on that. That said, though, if you missed it, Julia Quinn should have made it more evident. Should have made it a little more evident. Like, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, sexiness. Lane thought it was very lefty, but not very sexy. Yeah, like, I thought the makeouts were more explicit than Julia Quinn typically is. The makeouts, really the makeouts were really, yeah, were hot. They were A-plus. But literally every scene where clothes remover is, removal is involved, it's two. I thought were pretty lame. I So one of the things I thought Quinn did a good job in this book, especially if we're going to compare with, say, The Duke and I, where... Oh, that's gonna, it's okay. <laughs> Well, so in, in both The Duke and I and in this book, our heroines are pretty clueless about sex, mm-hmm. right? They don't understand how it works. They don't get, they don't understand racy jokes. Like, they didn't go to high school in they America. pick up references to someone being gay and need to explain to them. Yeah, so, like, she didn't understand about being gay. Another part that I I, la- I truly laughed out loud was she went to find Hugh. Hugh's been tied to the bed by his father. And mm-hmm. she's like, she's like, oh, let's get you out of here. And he's like, what if someone breaks in? She's like, you're tied to the bed. What else could happen? And he's like, um, I'm not sure how to explain this to you right now in this moment. But me being tied to the bed doesn't mean that we're not having sex. <laughs> He was basically like, so have you considered the possibility they'll think you tied me to the bed? And she's like, what? She's like, why would somebody do that? But it wasn't at her expense. Like, I, I, you know, I wasn't laughing mm-hmm. at her. The, the right. whole situation, him having to explain, like, the whole thing was really funny. And I thought really well done. And also not something that he's, like, turned on by that she doesn't understand what's going on. Serious props to Hugh. And this is the floor and should not be something I have to praise a romance hero for. They are in some stressful, inappropriate situations and never once in those situations does he think, Oh, she's just so sexy right now. Yeah. He is very into her in some like familial moments that like, wow, it's awkward that I'm thinking about having sex with her right now. But like anytime she is in like fear or panic, he is not thinking, damn, what a fine woman. Yeah. Yeah, and even, guys, even, she she talks about barring him from her bed for reasons that are plot-centric, and not once does he think, oh, I could get you to whatever. He's like, yes, I would abide by her wishes. So, again, why are we giving props to this? Because, unfortunately, it does not happen the way it should in romance novels very often. Correct. But... I personally didn't have too many issues with the actual sex scenes. So I don't know. Maybe Elaine was just too traumatized by the tone shift that after it, she was like, no, this is not, I'm not into this. Didn't bug me. I think for me, it was more just like count the pages of their garden makeout where they both finally cave and count the pages of the scene where he comes to her after they get back from their ordeal. It's true way more attention was paid to making that makeout sexy 
than to actually giving the reader the satisfaction of seeing these two people happy and in bed together. I will say that it did feel like the first book in the series again, where she was like, "Uh oh, wait, this is a romance novel. Gotta throw in some sex scenes." Like, there is only clothing removal after the 90th percentile. Mm-hmm. And then there are two like quickie sex scenes tossed in there, and they're very tacked on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not arguing Those- with that. Those are the two I'm complaining about. Everything prior to that was very, very good. It just also, like, not even a single button was undone. <laughs> right. Like, I want to be clear about how chaste they were. Yeah. But anyway, all in all, I, I personally really enjoy this book a lot. I think it's really fun. Um, I, I love Sarah and Hugh. And then the, the his father doesn't detract that much for me from the book i mean i definitely recommend this book i liked more than half of it (laughs) i liked more than half of it (laughs) such high praise (laughs) look i'm serious i liked more than half of of it lane from plot (laughs) trips put this on the damn cover honest reviews honest reviews I like more than half of it. Totally recommend you read it. If I ever reread this one, I am stopping after the makeout in the garden. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying Plot Trist, please rate, review, and subscribe.